Welcome back, everybody, to a special edition, a very special edition of the Here We Go Brownies podcast. I'm Allie Heisong, coming at you live from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Joined with me, as always, we got Dustin out in Boise, All-Pro, and six-time first-team All-Pro left tackle with 10,363 consecutive snaps for the Cleveland Browns, now NFL Network analyst Joe Thomas. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much. That was uh, so kind of you to bring me in like that. And uh, it's truly my pleasure to be here today with you guys. No, it's an honor. Um, most of us follow you on social at JoeThomas73 for your football takes, for your sports takes. But Joe, I got to tell you, I follow you too for some of your your food that you post on there. I want to kick it <laughs> up with that Jamaican jerk yes. stir fry that you had. That yes. Looks- exquisite well thank you i hope that some people are seeing some of the posts and being inspired to try different recipes and try new things maybe try to cook in a little healthier manner every now and then throw it in there um that was kind of a little bit of my inspiration but i was actually talking about i really want to start a youtube channel that is it's like the title is this is not a football channel it's a cooking (laughs) it's a diet nutrition exercise channel uh but i am very untech savvy and so i'm trying to find somebody who can help me with that side of things i bought this goofy contraption that i can put around my neck and it uh and i can put my phone on there so it can film like as i'm cooking um but i have no idea how to edit i have no idea how to put it on youtube and so i did a video with my daughter the other day making a pizza like a low carb thin crust pizza in the air fryer but then i realized i don't have the tech knowledge to be able to put it on youtube because, you know, Twitter videos can only be so long. So uh, I'm in the process of hiring an intern to help me <laughs> realize my dreams, my all-time goals <laughs> of having my own cooking YouTube channel. Well, I'll tell you this just right off the bat, and then we'll get into it. But you have inspired me to go out and get the sous vide. Oh, and nice. I will tell you, Joe, that is a game changer. Yes. That is a game changer for cooking and, and no all that. No doubt. Food. Yeah, it really changed the game for me. When I retired from football, I didn't know how to boil water. Uh, mm-hmm. And we just had our fourth child. And my wife was <laughs> like, hey, you're home now. You need to pick up the slack a little bit. So I'm like, oh, crap. Now I need to figure out how to like cook and do those things. Um, so the sous vide was one of my first purchases. And it, it totally changed the game because proteins are often the hardest things to cook, right? Like mm-hmm. they're the most challenging, the most delicate, the most expensive. And mm-hmm. so they're really intimidating. But the sous vide is great because it offers a really low barrier to entry. And it makes cooking perfect chicken, perfect pork, perfect steak, whatever you want to do. Uh, simple, easy, hands off. And then you can focus on the other stuff. And it really has been like the foundation of me learning how to do things in the kitchen. Awesome. Well, you're having to multitask with all the children, right? So you're having to make not yeah. just one setting. You're making dinner for six at that point, right? That's so right. Trying- That's so- right. It's hard to spank four kids at once and make kitchen, <laughs> uh, make, make food in the kitchen. So this gives me the opportunity to at I least was- spank two of them at once. As I say, I also saw some bourbon from a, was it a restaurant in the Midwest that you had put on there? Like a certain type of bourbon was pretty interesting. It looked good. Yeah, I like just kind of throwing stuff on there that uh, catches my eye and my attention. And I was actually at St. Elmo's, which is a That's famous what it steakhouse is, yeah. in Indianapolis. It's where the combine is. 
um, every year, actually up until next year, I think they're moving it. But um, St. Elmo's is like the legendary hangout where all the execs go during the combine and they have this incredible uh, shrimp cocktail sauce, which is what they're famous for that and their yep. steaks. But they also have these really good old fashions with their own bourbon that they make. And they make a, like bourbon snobs would like, you know, uh, look down their nose at me for saying this, but it's a good bourbon because it, it's infused with like uh, black cherries. And so oh, that, that's what I liked about it. For yeah. me, I love old fashions, but I don't like all that sugar because my taste buds just don't love all the sugar. Um, and so with this bourbon that they make that's infused with cherries, you can just pour it neat or you can pour it on an, uh, one ice cube and throw a couple of your own black cherries in there. And it tastes a lot like an old fashioned but it doesn't have that overpowering sugar and it's really easy. So uh, you can get drunk super simple because it's pure bourbon and all you got to do is pour it in your glass when you're focused on watching the brownies on Sunday. You don't have to worry about making a drink so you don't lose your focus on the task at hand. Yeah. Well, let's kick it off here. Um, Dustin, I'll turn it over to you. Let's let's kind of take a look at, you know, the NFL as a whole. Joe, I know you were at the Super Bowl, but Dustin, go ahead. I know you've got some questions lined up for a good friend, Joe, here. Yeah. So one thing I was going to ask you, are you going to, I'm assuming you're going to be at the combine next week. Are you going to be, doing I will be. Trip? Yes. Um, okay. For the last know, three, four years, I've yeah. covered the big guy day for the NFL network. Sure. And what does that kind of kind of walk us through that for the fan that obviously is watching uh, on television, right? As that unfolds on the NFL network, what does that day look for you? Like, mm -hmm. as you kind of walk through those days, what are you looking mm -hmm. for? And kind of what does your prep day look like yeah. uh, when you go out there to the combine in Minneapolis? So it's a really fun day for me because I'm a huge college football fan, but I don't dive into the weeds of like the prospects and I don't know everybody's names and I don't know all their backgrounds. I, I follow Wisconsin. I went there. I'm a, I'm a big Badger fan. So I know those guys, but outside of that, I don't really know all the names that are involved. So the combine is really the first opportunity for me to kind of dive in a little bit to the prospects, specifically the offensive linemen, a little bit of the defensive linemen and learn about those guys. Um, and I like the combine because it gives me an, a little bit of an unbiased entrance into who these guys are. Cause I don't try to look at where everybody's ranked. I want to go in there. I want to know sort of you know, what school they are, some of the basics information, but then I want to watch them. I want to watch mm -hmm. them perform the drills on the field. I want to watch them go through their paces, getting timed and seeing how they move and then kind of having my opinions from there before I see where all the experts have them ranked so that I'm not influenced at all by, you know, what Mel Kuyper or right. Todd McShay are saying about these guys. Um, and it's seemed to have served me pretty well because I feel really good about watching a guy and then reinforcing my own takes on a player with what some of the experts have seen after watching them on film. Um, and a couple of years ago at the combine, I came away extremely impressed with Jed Wills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then lo and behold, the Browns ended up drafting him and he was one of the, the better tackles in the combine, but it, it is fun. Cause that's sort of like your first opportunity to watch those guys on the field and get an idea of sort of where you think those guys are going to fit in the NFL game. Well, and I think you bring such a unique perspective to that because you can look at technique, right, based on your years playing in the NFL and kind of say, okay, that guy's kind of maybe a little ahead of the curve on some of these other guys. Or, you know, I can already see him being able to be a day one starter just mm -hmm. based on, like you said, you can kind of dial in and look at them just at their raw talent and see where they may fit for a team. So you, I think you have kind of a unique uh, lens when you look at that. 
Yeah, and and um, one of the benefits of playing for like a gazillion coaches and having having not so great teams was um, we saw a lot of different players coming in and out. We saw a lot of different sure. uh, coaches coming in and out, a lot of different ideas and strategy scouts. And because I was banged up towards the end of my career, so I didn't have a chance to do a lot of practicing. I had a chance to sit back and watch and see what these guys were being evaluated on, but also kind of start doing my own evaluation process. And I learned a lot about evaluating how guys move and seeing how that translates to being an offensive lineman. Um, and I think that's a pretty valuable skill as you're looking at these guys at the combine. And hopefully if anybody tunes in and listens to the combine, which now is in prime time, which is amazing. So we'll be right. out there at night um, watching these guys and on TV and analyzing these guys. Um, so if anybody's watching, hopefully I can kind of give them a little bit of insight into what I look for when I look at a player and try to determine if they have what it takes to, you know, maybe transition from tackle to guard or from playing tackle at Alabama or Wisconsin or Ohio state or wherever, and see if I feel like, Hey, these are the things that I see in that player. And it makes me with a high degree of conviction say, yeah, that guy is going to be a day one starter. He's a guy that can come right in and play because of X, Y, and Z. And, it, and it's a fun day for me to be able to kind of be involved in that side of things with the NFL, which is different than my day job doing the analysis, the pregame, the halftime, the post for Thursday night football. Yeah. You know, Joe, one thing I, I want to get your perspective on is um, the way that NFL front offices are approaching the offseason now. We know that the way that the Rams kind of went about their business with going all in and saying to hell with first round picks, who needs them? We're going to go get every star we can possibly get to go win a Super Bowl right now. And then the Bengals take the approach of, hey, let's go, let's go get some of these mid-tier type of guys and build a very good team with a lot of depth. Um, you know, I kind of just want to get your perspective on one, what it's like to go about an offseason. Um, as a player, um, you know, approaching or coming out of a season that maybe wasn't so great, uh, but still a lot of hope around a team. Um, what's that kind of like? And do you think that a lot of these teams are going to approach uh, the offseason in the way that the Rams did? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many teams take the Rams approach with sort of that all in mentality. Um, I've often thought for as long as I've followed the NFL that draft picks were overvalued a little bit because the success rate on a draft pick, even a first round pick is like 50%, which is not really all that good. Like if, if I'm missing 50% of my blocks, I'm out of the league <laughs> after uh, my first start. But the problem at play here is that this is a, an issue in the scouting departments by and large is that there's a lot of ego at play, right? These, these guys, Everybody gets to their role as GM or director of scouting because they've done a good job on the way up, right? And they've had success, and a lot of times success breeds some ego. And when you're one of 32 NFL GMs, you probably, rightfully so, think you're pretty good at what you're doing, and what you're doing is evaluating talent. And because of that, I think you over um, – you put too much weight in your own analysis and your own ability to be smarter than your peers at assessing talent. And so historically, if you look, no matter who you are as a GM, there's a very small range of success in guys picking players. Yeah, there's levels of, okay, these GMs have done a little bit better job uh, finding the talent and analyzing it for the draft slots. These guys have done maybe a little bit worse job but in general, it's a small range. And so when you have a small range and your success rate is right around 50%, you've got to realize that this it's kind of a coin flip. And so you're much better off in most cases 
when everybody's doing one thing to kind of do a different thing. So if everybody thinks that they're smarter than the other people in the room and they, they value these draft picks a lot, because if you hit on a draft pick as a GM, you get a lot of praise and a lot of accolades. Oh, look, I hit on this guy. You know, you can pat yourself in the back, tell your buddies in the media to write great stories about you. And, and a lot of times they do, but in the end, probably leads you to have more confidence in your ability to select talent than you should. And so therefore draft picks get overvalued and the ability to trade those draft picks for known commodities and veteran players is undervalued. And I think you're seeing that swing a little bit more towards where it should be down the middle, an appropriate valuation of draft picks and you're with, with the advent of analytics and the Rams are just one of those teams that have realized like, Hey, we're much better off trading two first round picks for a guy who has first-round talent who's proven it in the NFL because we know what he is. We know how he could possibly fit. And I think they're starting to understand that it's easier for a GM, for a coaching staff, to see a player that's playing in the NFL and understand that, yes, that fits into what we want, into our system, whether it be offense or defense, into the role that we want for that player – it's easier to do that and you're more successful doing that than you are looking at a college player and trying to figure out how he fits. And so essentially what the Rams are saying is, Hey, you can have our two first round picks if we get a first round talent for it, because that known commodity gives us uh, a much better expectation of success. And so they are doing that. And I think there's going to be more and more teammates that are going to try to do that because of the copycat nature of the NFL. But I think the big challenge that, people are going to see if they try to replicate the Rams model is that the Rams were able to get Matthew Stafford as a quarterback and finding quarterbacks in the NFL. It's not like going to Tiffany's, you know, you (laughs) might have the money and you can buy the fancy diamond ring or whatever at Tiffany's, but in the NFL, you can't go to the NFL quarterback high end shop and just be like, well, I got the money. I got the draft picks. Give me this guy. It doesn't work like that. There's a great deal of chance um, and a great deal of just, being in the right place at the right time to be able to find a franchise quarterback. If you don't draft one that is above and beyond just saying, yeah, we're going to go all in and find a great quarterback this season because they don't just grow on trees. You can't just go to the store and buy them. Well, I think you bring up a good point, Joe, because if you look at the NFL as a whole, I think they overvalue quarterbacks, right? So, so teams are so desperately needy for quarterbacks. Sometimes a guy will go way before he should have ever gone in the first round and you'll see teams move up, you know, trade away their capital just to try to hit on a quarterback. And to your point, there's a 50, 50 chance, unless he's like a, you know, surefire guy that you're going to hit on that guy. Right. And Mm then we've seen that with the Browns of old, right. They think mm-hmm. they got their quarterback, and then a couple years later, well, I guess that's not the guy. And it really, to your point, quarterbacks are a rare find in the NFL that are going to be generational differences at that position. Mm-hmm. And you're a lot of times better off getting someone like a staffer to come in, mm-hmm. surround him with all the talent that you already have, right? Because you know what he's done. Now you give him all the talent. And to the Rams' success, you know, all those years he was in Detroit – you know, he didn't have the best years, but then he goes in and has all the things built around him because he is a good quarterback and he's able to win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think a couple things. Um, one, it's a supply and demand game. The same reason that running backs have almost no value. And you see the best running backs in the NFL today, right? Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, all second round picks. And if you redrafted all their drafts, they'd probably be drafted higher, but still because 
the difference between the best running back in the NFL and the 32nd running back in the NFL is small. And it's not going to lead you to that many more victories to have the best running back in the NFL versus the 32nd running back in the Mm -hmm. NFL. It doesn't have the same value in the draft. Whereas with quarterbacks, if you have the best quarterback in the NFL, you've got a chance every year to win the Super Bowl. If you got the worst quarterback in the NFL, you're about to get your ass fired. So (laughs) as a GM, as a coach, they realize and they understand that unless I have a great quarterback, I have almost no chance to win the Super Bowl. Certainly there's outliers like when you think back to the Ravens, two Super Bowls in the 2000s, right? It's been Joe Flacco and Trent Dilfer. Most people would say that those guys were middle of the pack, if not a lower middle of the pack quarterbacks, but they won because they put generational defenses around these yep. guys. I mean, you talk about the 85 Bears, and then you're going to talk about the Ravens teams in the 2000s that won the Super Bowl with those defenses. Now, it's really hard to put a defense together like that. A large degree of chance goes into it, and it's nearly impossible to keep those defenses together because – you put 11 great players together on defense, those guys are going to splinter really quickly and go get paid somewhere else. So keeping those guys together, almost impossible. Keeping one single quarterback on your team, like a Tom Brady, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Drew Brees, that gives you a chance to win a Super Bowl every year, it's a lot easier. you got to get one guy to sign on the dotted line and get him under the salary cap versus 11 guys. So there's that at play. And I think more than anything, I just want to highlight the fact that these GMs and coaches know that if I don't have a great quarterback – I'm going to get fired in two years. If I have a great quarterback, there's a great chance I can stick around for a really long time. So they're really much more willing to give up a lot to be able to get that guy that gives them job security. Because in the end, in the NFL, it's a me league. It's not a we league, no much as, as much as everybody wants to tell you about that. You know, Joe, on that note, I think it's fair to bring up Baker Mayfield. For the Cleveland Browns, it's kind of no secret that he didn't achieve the level of success uh, that he probably anticipated this year. Part of that, given the injury, um, what have you. And I don't think it's crazy to think that they could potentially bring in somebody, whether that's free agency, trade, draft, either to compete for that position um, or to start or in a backup role. But I want to get your perspective from the offensive line. What's it like to have to block for two different styles of quarterback? Like, for example... If they were to bring in, let's just say, a Malik Willis, and they are, you know, somebody that's more elusive, um, you know, taking those practice reps, what's it like in pass pro and run blocking to block for somebody like Baker Mayfield versus somebody that's a little bit more elusive? Yeah, I, I think it prov- provides different challenges. Um, when you have a quarterback that's standing in the pocket and that's traditionally, you know, thrown from a spot that's nine yards behind the center, all those guys on defense, they know that they can pin their ears back and they're rushing a spot, right? So they don't have to worry about, okay, guy gets out of the pocket. He's going to make a big play. I'm going to get my ass ripped when I get to the sideline Mm -hmm. because I let him outside a contain. So they're going to be more measured in how they rush the passer, which makes it a lot easier on me because he's not going all out trying to get to that spot. It's like if you've ever watched one-on-one pass rush in training camp, they put a dot back there behind the center or they put a dummy back there. And then the defensive end, he's rushing to that spot just because he needs to get that spot. And once he gets to the spot, it's over. Like that's what happens when you have a, a pocket passing type quarterback. And that's a, a real challenge. It makes it much harder on you as an offensive lineman. But typically the trade-off is when you do have a pocket passing quarterback, you've got a Tom Brady who's a statue back there. He's getting rid of the ball really quickly. So all I have to be is a human speed bump for two seconds and I get my job done and the ball's going <laughs> downfield. When you've got a guy who's more mobile, He could be anywhere. So a lot of times you see the pass rush look like what 
people rush Patrick Mahomes with, which is, all right, we're going to just try to constrict the noose. We're coming in slowly. We're going to rush, but we don't want to let him out of the pocket. We just want to kind of bull rush and, and get that pocket going smaller and smaller. And then right when we get close to him, now we can go for the sack. Hmm. That makes it a lot easier on me. They're not going as hard. They're not taking the risks to leave their gap to try to beat me with abstract, way outside the box, pass rush moves. They're not running way past the quarterback because their coaches have been pounding into their head all week. You can't let this guy out of the pocket. <laughs> Consequently, the upside, another upside, is that that guy has elusiveness back there that if I do get beat, he can make that erased and get outside the pocket like a Russell Wilson and make a 50, 60 yard throw down the field for a touchdown. And I'll be high fiving him all the way to go and get Gatorade on the sideline saying, man, you saved my ass. Thanks buddy. I, I totally missed my block. I won't do that again. No harm, no foul. Right. And he pats him in the back sometimes. And a lot of times when you do have that elusive quarterback, he does want to hang on to the ball because a lot of great things do happen when they do hang on to the football. So sometimes I could have a great block three and a half, four seconds down the line and all of a sudden, I think the ball should be gone because that clock's going off in your head that, boom, one, two, three, four, five, the ball should be gone or that he should leave the pocket. And he's still hanging on to it. And now it's a scramble drill and you're trying to chase your guy all over the field. You're still trying to do your best, but it makes it difficult to know you know, where he is because I don't have eyes in the back of my head. Yeah. So, Joe, obviously, you know, you're joining our podcast today. Obviously, you do some podcasting yourself. Um why don't you give yourself a little shout out there for you and your uh, friend, Andrew, what you guys kind of do and what you guys try to like to cover uh, when you do a podcast. I know. You yeah. Guys yeah. So I've been doing my podcast with Andrew Hawkins, the Tom and Hawk football show. You can catch it on Amazon music or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and during the football season, we've been doing twice weekly shows Monday and Wednesday. The shows are released. We do a mini cast on Monday, which just kind of hits all the big topics from the NFL mm -hmm. that weekend for 10 minutes. So it's quick. You can kind of consume it on the way home from work on Monday and uh, make sure you're up to date for the week. And then we do a little bit longer form where we dive into the, some of the topics and we always try to throw some Browns topics in there, but we are an NFL podcast. We cover all the uh, big stories throughout the NFL during the week. And we try to give a player's perspective, try to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit and give fans an idea of what NFL players are thinking about the things that are going on in today's NFL. We try to keep it light. We try to keep it fun. We try to throw some anecdotes from our time in the NFL in there. And um, it's been a fun show for me personally. Andrew's one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. And I think it's given a lot of fans great perspective uh, to kind of see the NFL game through a player's eyes. Uh, one of the guys going to mention one of my favorite moments that you had during uh, when you were drafted for the Browns is they did do it. They went to a shot and said, Joe Thomas is, you know, not at the draft. Um, and obviously you're a big, big, you love fishing. You know, you were out there, I believe, with your dad that day. Yep. So to all of our listeners that are, you know, avid Browns fans, big fishing fans, where are some of your favorite fishing places out here in Idaho? We have a lot. I don't know if you've been Ooh. out west. But we have a lot of great fishing places out here. But where are some of your favorite places to kind of just as you put it, unwind away from the cameras, yeah. kind of have some me time and just go enjoy fishing. Yeah. I mean, the best freshwater fishing lake in the world is uh, in Cleveland's backyard in Lake Erie, Ohio, uh, right there, all the way from the Western basin through the central basin. I I've fished all the way to Ashtabula for perch and walleye mm. and smallmouth bass and fishing crappies and bass in the harbors and stuff. So, um, 
that's got to be my favorite. That's the time, the lake I've spent the most time in. Sure. Um, but then I also, when I'm when I'm home in Wisconsin, I used to come home every summer um, to go see family and friends and just get out on all the little lakes over there. Madison has got three, yeah. four beautiful lakes um, right around the Wisconsin campus that I've been fishing since I was in college for bass and perch and all sorts of great stuff. But um, in the summer, I'm trying to start another tradition with my kids and my dad, taking them up to Canada. Oh, for fine. a few days every summer and uh, this summer i'm going up to canada with my oldest two daughters and my dad my father-in-law and a couple of uncles and uh, i'm really looking forward to that just starting to sort of pass on the love of fishing yeah. to the next generation and uh typically the fishing is pretty good in canada so which, i don't think we're gonna get skunked yeah which province are you going up to in canada so a few years ago, we went to Saskatchewan, which was amazing. We were fishing pike. Um, but this summer, we're just going to go up to Ontario and the Lake okay. of the Woods. Nice. You know, I love to hear that. Um, I grew up fishing with my dad. Nice. So it's, you know, it. I have a very special place in my heart for fishing. And now that I live down here in South Carolina, the beach is my backyard. Nice. I'm too intimida intimidated by the ocean to go out there yeah. and, and do any of that by myself. But mm -hmm. um, actually, speaking of my dad, he brought a question that he wanted mm. me to ask you. Little sure. Troy Hysong, big time fan of Joe Thomas. He wants nice. to know who was the one player that kind of kept you up at night. It was kind of the most difficult for you to go up against. Uh, there was a lot of guys like that, believe it or not. But um, one guy that I had to go against a bunch was Terrell Suggs from the Ravens. He was a great player, very unpredictable, very smart, very heady. He would um, always kind of use what you did best and try to use it against you. He was like a ninja like that. <laughs> and, you know, he was that guy that because he just didn't know what he was going to do on any given play, he was liable to leave his gap. Mm. even if you knew there was nobody else covering for him because he knew that he was good enough that if he took a risk like that, he oftentimes made it pay off with a big sack or a big tackle for a loss. And so he was that guy that was tough because he, he combined like unpredictability with smarts, but with an incredible amount of talent as well. So he was, he was definitely that guy that I hated to see twice on the schedule every year. Joe, this is great. We'll get you out of here on this one. We'll finish with a Browns question. Mm. Um, one thing that I've heard you've mentioned throughout several podcasts or whatever is the attention to detail and what it takes to go from good to great. I think you were on Cleveland Browns Daily and you mentioned kind of your laundry list of things that you would go through on every snap, uh, whether your toe was sitting right in your shoe. Mm -hmm. and you mentioned it on the Garage Beers podcast that maybe if guys know they're not making the Super Bowl, that they'll take five minutes off in film time. Mm -hmm. I just want to talk about kind of that gap right? And what it takes to be from good to great. And as Browns fans coming off of a disappointing season, do you think that the Browns are just maybe a few key pieces away? Or is this something bigger that, you know, hopefully we don't have to prepare for? Yeah. Well, I, I think the great thing about the NFL game, the reason it's the most popular sport in America the, is because it gives hope to every fan base every single season. Look what the Bengals did. I mean, they were the first pick in the draft just a couple years ago, and they were legitimately one play away from winning the Super Bowl just a couple yep. of weeks ago. And so that's the dream for every fan base, that once you put the right players in place, which you can do through the draft and free agency, that the worst team in the NFL and the best team in the NFL, they're not that far off. And we saw that even, you know, in some of the bad teams that I played on. Like, in the middle of my career – the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots came to town. And we had backup quarterback Colt McCoy under center, and we beat the tar out of them by like three touchdowns because there is so much parity in the NFL, and typically most games come down to three or four plays. Now, granted, the great players, they consistently make those plays in crunch time, and the guys who aren't very great, 
who uh, typically are at those important positions that the moment becomes too big for them. A lot of times just a few years in the NFL and they're done. Um, But I think the positive takeaway for Browns fans is that we are close. We're right there. It was a disappointing season, but I don't think it's a team that needs to have wholesale changes, a couple bounces of the ball in our direction and we would have been in the playoffs. I mean, we were right there just making the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, it's anybody's game. So yeah. I think this team is really close. They're obviously going to try to upgrade themselves this offseason, which they will be able to because of draft picks and salary cap space. And I think also that Andrew Barry, he's a sharp GM. He understands how close they are. And the Haslam's, they realize that the time is now to spend the money to commit the capital because you have a team that's built right now that can win the Super Bowl. I agree. Spot on. Joe, this is great. Thank you so much for your time. We are so appreciative to have you on the Here We Go Brownies podcast. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for letting me come on the podcast. And you can always check me out on Twitter at JoeThomas73. There you have it. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Take care. That is Browns legend Joe Thomas. Dustin, what what an insightful guy just to bring that that perspective uh, to the listeners. Of course, I, I just learned so much from him. Um, but the way that he's transitioned from player to analyst, uh, it doesn't seem that it was too hard of a transition for him just because of all the wealth of knowledge that he already has. Yeah. Um, what a class act, by the way, just in the, the wealth of knowledge. Um, and he's just he kind of shoots from the hip when he gives you his opinion on something. I love that. Like, Hey, this is what happens. This is what really goes on. Right. Um, Which is always kind of fun, but just his perspective. I like how he kind of dissects the combine, right? He doesn't come in with anybody else's ideas or thoughts or preconceived notions. And then he just looks at those players and go, yeah, that guy's got the it factor. He's going to be, you know, doing that kind of stuff. I think he brings such a uniqueness now that he's with the NFL Network, where he can go in and just look at these players for who they are and be like, yeah, that guy's probably going to be a second-round pick and probably a development player, or yeah, that guy's a day-one starter. Uh, fill him in wherever you need him because he's going to be, and to your point, he brought up Jedrick, right? Like He was already kind of going, that guy's an, uh, a can't-miss kind of guy, right? And then he ends up being that replacement. So um, I just like that he can bring that kind of knowledge to the football game. How lucky are we as Browns fans to have somebody like that so committed to the city of Cleveland and to have played for as long as he did? And and if I could go back and just, man, it just makes you wish that we were a little bit more successful during his time, during his I would like to take him and put him back on this Yeah, just like last year. He deserves these last few years of the Browns playing well. He does. Man, what a guy. We're so lucky. And to your point, to have over 10,000 consecutive snaps for anybody in any career. Because, you know, I was talking to somebody about this. Linemen just get bumped into, stepped on. I mean, there's going to be a point where you just are going to be out of game, right? Because you just can't go, right? And the fact that he went that long and kind of the Iron Man of the NFL, right, uh, just goes to show you first his toughness, his mental toughness as well. Um, and the Browns were lucky to have a guy like that. And I'm pretty giddy that next year he may be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame um, to add to our list of great uh, NFL Hall of Famers. And I just think um, what he does for the NFL and what he does for the city of Cleveland, to your point, uh, he, he is a uh, he's just a gem to have. You know, that yeah. I'm glad that he was on our football team because I kind of. I look at him like I feel bad for like Dan Marino, right? 
Dan Marino, you know, went to the Super Bowl. He was a great quarterback, but he never won the Super Bowl, right? And Joe, I kind of feel that he was such a great player, and he just never had the talent around him to be able to enjoy the success, you know, that, that you really want someone like that to enjoy. So We're so lucky to have had him uh, in Cleveland. And take a look at his career, Dustin. As I mentioned off the top here, 10-time Pro Bowler, two-time second-team All-Pro, and six-time first-team All-Pro with 10,363 consecutive snaps. Let me say that again, 10,363 consecutive snaps. Um, Now, of course, working for the NFL Network. Guys, he had over or he had nine different offensive coordinators. We talk about continuity in the NFL and how important that is for a quarterback. But let's talk about the foundation of your offense. It starts and ends with your offensive line, especially that left tackle position. That's one of the most difficult positions to play in all of sport. Um, And the dedication that he put in, I mean, go back and listen to some of his interviews um, on different platforms. He talks about the laundry list of things that he went through during each snap, where his toe lined up in his shoe. (laughs) Um, and, and if <laughs> where it was to give him leverage uh, in, in pass pro or run block. So uh, I encourage you to check out some of his stuff. You can follow him at Joe Thomas 73. And by the way, Dustin, I don't know if you know this, but he's got a beer. Make sure you get your hands on that. Oh, yeah, that. 73 Kolsch out of Great Lakes Brewery. Get your hands on that. It is divine. Of course, everything that Joe Thomas touches is that way. Uh, but we're so lucky to have had him on here. Dustin, any closing thoughts as we wrap up yeah. on a special edition of the Here We Go Ronnie's podcast? Yeah, the one thing that fascinates me is him as a player, just in general. We talk about like Baker Mayfield having multiple offensive coordinators, whatever that. To think about during Joe Thomas's tenure as a Cleveland Brown, he went through multiple owners, correct? multiple GMs, multiple head coaches, multiple offensive coordinators and for him to have that stability from over a decade and 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 i mean people would basically say why don't you go ask joe thomas because he's been here the longest and he'll tell you how it really is right like joe thomas has always kind of been like that speak softly but he really is the voice of reason i mean he really is kind of that guy that stood there and you know, was the guy in Cleveland. I mean, he was through multiple owners and all that. And I just find it fascinating that he spent his entire career, which is rare even today, right? For someone to spend their entire career in one city, right? Let alone an offensive lineman, because they could get, you know, big money, go somewhere else. But uh, Joe Thomas is, you know, to spend his entire career and dedicate that to Cleveland is quite the thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. We love you, Joe. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you, Joe. Um, yeah, and we appreciate everybody who tuned in. This is great. We're so uh, so honored to be able to talk with Browns legends like Joe Thomas. Uh, it really just puts things into perspective. And you heard it from him directly, listeners, that even, even the bad teams, it's just a couple of plays away. So don't, don't freak out. I know it's a crazy <laughs> offseason, but uh, maybe we're not as far off as we think as Browns fans. So guys, with that, stay safe. Stay healthy. And as always, Browns fans, go Browns. Go Browns.